Um, for some of you, this could be a day of great joy. And for others, it could be a day filled with pain and sorrow. So I just want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. I also want to let you know that I am so honored to be here tonight. You just don't even know. This, this stage, right back there, in 1995 I was baptized. And in this stage, I married my best friend and the love of my life in 1999. And now, I get to be in this place sharing God's word with you guys. And that is epic to me. It's, it's just amazing that how God is so good. Yeah. Lots of good things happened on this stage. So for those of you who know me, this is not going to be hard to imagine. But when I was a little girl and maybe you know, just as of last year, I have an overactive imagination. I know. It's hard to believe, right? Because I'm so quiet and demure and meek. But many times this would turn into overwhelming fear. So as a little girl, I would lay in my bed and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd have to go to the bathroom. And I couldn't because there was a monster under my bed. It didn't matter that I had drawers under there he still was under there and he could get me. And so I thought if I were to put my toe down on the floor that he would get me. So I would lay there in pain, having to go to the bathroom, terrified about the monster in, under my bed until the light came up and then monsters go away in the light. So, and then I would run off to the bathroom. Or we spent summers at my grandma's house in New Orleans and she lived in this old two-story house and since the city is under sea level the houses are shift and so there's cracks all in the the walls and stuff and the ceilings and in those cracks lived vampires it was real guys and I would lay in bed at night obviously I didn't sleep much as a child I would lay in bed with my flashlight and I would be go I'd trace I'd go up and down the cracks in the ceiling and all over the walls so if I'm shining the light so that maybe that would scare or kill the vampires, knowing that, of course, only sunlight kills them, but maybe my flashlight would be strong enough and then it would work, right? I was also scared to take out the trash. Convenient. Don't try to use that. My kids are in here. I, I thought I was going to get kidnapped. It, I lived in Florida at the time. There was lots of kidnappings, and I thought, if I take out the trash by myself, I'm going to get kidnapped. My parents didn't buy that, and they made me do it anyway. And so I'm not kidding. I would, I would trace my route, knowing where I had to go, and I'd have, my, <laughs> I'd have the garbage in both hands. I was this little bitty thing, and I would run out there, and I would be jumping over things, and I would stamp on branches or palm trees, and I, garbage would be you know, sliding everywhere. I was like the Usain Bolt of trash taker outers, and I would zip in there, and I would zip out. I mean, I think more trash would be on the, the yard than there was actually in the garbage cans that they need to, to go in. But I was terrified. I was terrified of those things. This fear continued on as an adult. Brian and I had just started dating and some friends took me to go see the movie Scream. It was scary, right? And so, of course, that guy was in my closet. 
It wasn't even a walk-in closet. It was a very, very small closet. You could only hang up like five things. So no grown man could fit in there. Remember, fears are not logical. But I knew he was in there looking at me. And so I, Brian would call me and I would make him talk to me all night long until I would fall asleep with him on the phone uh, because I was just terrified. <laughs> he should have said then, this girl's crazy. Uh, and I mean, you know, how old was I? I was 24 or 25. I mean, it wasn't, you know, like a 10-year-old. And although these stories seem silly and, and funny, but besides being ridiculous, think about all the time that was wasted worrying about all this stuff, things that I couldn't control. I mean, that, just think, I wish I could have all that time that I just wasted in worrying that. And after I had kids, you guys, it got worse. You're going, how on earth did it get worse? It did. I didn't want to, to ride to Phoenix with Brian in case we both got into a car accident and left our kids orphans. So one of the times he asked me to go, I thought, well, maybe if I drive behind you. He said, Kimberly, we are not driving two cars to Phoenix with one person in each. I said, obviously, he doesn't love our children. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> I might have caused a fuss. You know, are the kids alive? Are they still breathing? You know, if they slept through the night, most moms would be like, woohoo, I'm all, of course, they've just died. You know, I'd go and poke them. And Brian's like, why are you waking up this baby? Again, I was like, he just doesn't care. And, or the latest, uh, just a few years ago, flying, I like when we fly all together, so that if the plane goes down, we're all together, right? So then I wouldn't have to worry about, <laughs> saying this out loud in front of all you guys, it sounds horrible, but it's what I think. Anyway, and I thought, well, we'll all die together, because I don't want to have to worry about them. I need you guys to listen to me. I was worried about being worried after I was dead. That's how deep my, you know, most people are like, you're dead, what do you care? Right. Worried. Fearful. At the fear of worry, I mean, at the root of worry and fear is mistrust. And this mistrust was crippling me and probably highly annoying my husband. I mean, I've just skimmed the surface of some of these fears. Again, I was fearful about things that were not in my control. Tonight, our scripture passage that we're going to read, it talks about a story, it's a story about a woman who was physically burdened. She was so burdened for so long that also caused her to have mental issues that weighed her down. And as we're reading through and discovering these scriptures, I want you to call to mind your own burdens. Call to mind your own burdens. What, what weighs you down? What makes you feel defeated? What saps your strength, your vitality, your joy, your energy? Some of you, it's because you're just sitting in so much sin right now that you can't even stop, you can't even, you can't even focus on anything else. Others, you might be feeling not loved or unworthy. Some of you are looking at your future and it's a big old question mark. Or you don't feel like you have a lot of hope. 
Whatever these issues are right now, I would like you to just bring them to mind as we explore the gospel together. So I want you to turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. There will be verses on the screen. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I got a new pink Bible. Makes me happy. Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. Verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Whoa! Let's go ahead and just deal with verses 15 through 17 first. These church leaders, these are the people in charge, they were more concerned about the rules than the relationship. They were more concerned about the law than the freedom that God's love has to offer us. They were more concerned about catching up Jesus on the Sabbath day rather than excited that this woman was healed and all glory was given to Jesus. Jesus kind of called them out and said, your donkey's more important? Don't you bring your donkey water? Then why shouldn't this woman be healed? It said the church leaders were humiliated and some other text it says ashamed. Jesus kind of put them in their place. He wanted to remind them, hey, I'm here for people. People delight me. I care deeply about people, especially the ones who are sick. Not the legalism of their religion. He's making sure that he's reminding us, church, Jesus came for the sick. Not for the ones of us walking around with our little check marks, our Jesus check sheets. Now back to verse 10. It begins with this statement. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. What is so important about this? It means that there was probably a lot of people standing in front of him. We don't know exact numbers, but in previous meetings that he had or teachings, there was about 5,000 people on the side of the mountaintop. So we can infer that there was probably wall-to-wall people there. And as he was teaching, he stops because he sees someone. And you're going, well, of course, Kimberly, he sees someone. 
Like, I see you guys. You guys are actually looking at me. I see you. But I need it in, I don't mean in that sense, like he just saw someone. I meant he noticed someone. And it was a woman. And the reason this is so epic is because women at that time were not standing front and center. They wouldn't have been in sitting in the front row. She was probably off to the side. She doesn't call out his name. She doesn't touch his garment. She doesn't interrupt the service. But yet Jesus still notices her. And what is so amazing about this is that he notices her in a crowd of thousands and she was completely hunched over. Completely hunched over. So it wasn't even like she was eye level. We are told in those verses that this woman had been suffering from an infirmity for 18 years. My daughter turns 18 in a few months. Woo! And that's a long time to be, imagine being that crippled over. The text also explains that this woman's condition was attributed to Satan's work in the world. In this fallen world, there is disease, and there is death, and there is disability. Too much. The causes are often multiple. But the original source is the enemy because he is the author of the evil in this world. So that is what they were talking about during this, in this text. Can you imagine being bent over for 18 years, being hunched over, not being able to feel the sun on your face or look at people when they're speaking, not be able to look at the clouds or the sun or see the mountains in the horizon, her only world was this little square feet in front of her of, of dirt. That was her world. So there she is, hunched over, and Jesus is teaching, and he interrupts her, his lesson, and he calls her to him. That's what it says. In verse 12, it says, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. This verse means not only did he see her, he noticed her and he focused on her. Now I don't know how you would feel if Jesus was like zeroing in on you. Maybe it made her really nervous. Maybe she was so used to being ignored, invisible. She wasn't known for her name. She probably, when she was walking down the street, she wasn't known as Mary or Elizabeth. She was known as, oh, here comes the crippled woman walking down the street. She wasn't known by her occupation, her vocation, or her family. She was known as the one who was crippled or handicapped or different, the one whose identity is so wrapped up in her condition that she didn't even have a name. Some of us, we're like that too, aren't we? Our identity is so wrapped up in our sin, in our burdens, in our shame, in our disease, in our disability, in our problems, that they become, they become the focus of our life. 
They become our identity. They're the center. It's all about that. They define us. They shape us. They're the topic of every conversation. Many of us aren't physically sick, but we are spiritually, we are spiritually crippled. We are spiritually weighed down like this woman was. And because of these burdens, because of this junk, we adjust. We adjust our lives to carry these burdens. We adjust our thoughts. They go sideways quite a bit. Our perspectives, they become super narrow. Our lives get smaller because all we can focus on are those things. And we get weighed down, and we get weighed down, and we get weighed down. We just agree to the lies over and over and over again. What things in your life are you agreeing to? What things have adjusted, gone sideways? Because you've got to bow down to these things. They become your master. You've got to ask your fear, can I do this? You've got to ask your anxiety, can I go there? You've got to ask your hurt, can I ever love again? It cripples you. It owns us. These things own us. We live out of this condition rather than the calling that Jesus has put on our lives. We live out of this condition rather than the calling Jesus has put on our lives. But just as Jesus saw the woman, he sees you. He sees deep into our soul. You're like, uh-oh, it's good, it's good. He sees things we can't even see ourselves. He sees the anger, he sees the frustration, he sees the betrayal, he sees the resentment, the bitterness, the pride, oh, the pride. He sees it. He sees the mask that we put on at work or at church. Fine, everything's fine, it's great. Knowing inside it's not. He sees the ugly. He sees the ugly that has been done to you. He sees the ugly that you have done. He sees it. And he says to you, just like he said to the woman, come, come here, come to me. Let me put my hands on you and let me heal you. Let me take all that is bent and crooked and, and sideways in your life. Let me make it strong. Let me wipe away all that ugliness inside of you. You are a child of God, like Lyle and the worship team sung over and over. You are a child of God. You are loved without limit, without reservations, without conditions. And Jesus is saying, come, let me heal you, because I love you. I love you. He offered, Jesus offered her freedom 
and healing, and he's offering it to you. And what's so cool is it's, it's up for grabs today. Today, in Isaiah 61, it says, Jesus came to set the captives free, to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that the captives, captives be released, the prisoners set free. Instead of ashes, he's gonna make beauty out of those. Instead of joy, there's gonna be, instead of mourning, there's gonna be joy. Instead of despair, there's gonna be praise. And in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks planted for his glory. That's what Jesus has for your life. That's what Jesus has. And John 8, 36, it says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. When the woman hobbled over to him, she was only looking at dirt. She was only looking at dirt because she was so hunched over. When she got up to him, She's folded over, and all she can see is his feet. All she could see was his feet. Servants see their master's feet. Jesus did not come for us to just look at his feet. Jesus did not come for us to, to keep us as slaves. Jesus did not come for us to be bound by the enemy's chains. We are all children of God. We are children of the one true God. We are not slaves. Daughters and sons of the mighty, mighty king, they don't look down. They look up. They look up at their father who adores them. They look up to the one who loves them. Look inside right now. Are you looking up because you know that you're a child of God and you've got a father who adores you, who sees you, who notices you? Or are you looking down at your feet, suffering in pain, weighed down, living like a slave because you're chained to it, looking down because of shame or guilt or rejection or failure or losses or pain. Your whole perspective is this. That's not what Jesus came for. In verse 13, how did the woman respond to this? It says in verse 13, then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. That's what, it's, it was immediate. It wasn't like, come back. It was immediate. And she immediately, she stretched out and up to her full stature. What must that have felt like? Can you imagine the sudden freedom in that? the new perspective of the whole world, she's like, wow, look how big and beautiful this world is. She's standing in the presence of her Savior. Do you think life looked a little bit differently then? Her immediate response 
she praised God. She praised God. Church, Jesus came so that we can be set free. We can't be the church he wants us to be if we're faced this way and not this way. What, you might be sitting here going, but what do I do? How much do I have to pray? Maybe if I try real hard, if I try hard enough, if I be better, if I don't press the button, if I don't look at the screen, if I don't look at this woman, if I don't do this, you think of all the things if you don't do. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Go to him, beloved son and daughter. Freedom comes from being in the presence of God. Freedom comes in being in the presence of God. In Psalm 1611, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. That's pretty amazing. He's saying, come hang out with me. And when you get there, worship him, adore him. She prays God immediately. But it can't just stop there. Because then we've got to repent and confess. Repent means turn away from. Changed mind, changed direction, change course. We've been, Jack's been, been spending the past five weeks talking about change. Change heart, change mind, change relationships, change community, change purpose. That's what repent means is turn from, change. In Acts 3.19 it says repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may become from the Lord. What is not called out cannot be dealt with. What is not called out cannot be dealt with. You are only as sick as your secrets because he still sees you. So go confess to him. Confess to him your doubts. Confess to him your unbeliefs. Confess to him your sins, your shame, your hurt, your rejections. Lay them at his feet and then leave them there. Don't go back, run around and pick them back up and run around and be like, oh no, I want that one back. You gotta lay them down and leave them there. Don't keep picking it back up because the next thing, pray. Pray in his name. The word, just his name, Jesus, is that powerful. Pray in his name, that the Holy Spirit gives you a freedom, that Jesus' voice is louder than anything this world has to offer. And we all know that this world is loud. And it has distractions. And it has a lot of chirping in your ear. But Jesus, his voice can be louder in your life. He is able and he is faithful. Elements, defeated people look down. 
defeated people looked down. The same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead, the same Jesus that walked on water, the same Jesus that conquered death can conquer your burdens. Did you hear the song? All hail King Jesus. The tomb was empty. That's super good news, you guys. So look up. Claim his victory. Claim his victory and his promises in that. You've got to believe it. You've got to live it. You've got to own it. And you've got to walk in it. Don't waste any more time. If I could have all of those minutes, those seconds, the older I get, I just really want more time. All of those seconds and minutes and hours I wasted on worry. Imagine what I could have been doing and during that time. Imagine what you could be doing instead of looking down. So freedom comes in, in his presence. Praise him. Repent and confess and leave it with him. Pray in the power of his name because just his name is powerful. And claim and live the promise of victory. Claim and live the promise of victory. Tonight, if you're sitting here and you don't know of this Jesus I'm talking about, when we go into communion, I want you just to pray with me. 23 years ago, I sat, there were pews then, that's how old I am. I sat in a pew over there and prayed this prayer and met my Savior. 23 years ago, sitting over there. And I'm gonna let you guys know, I was a reluctant Christian. I sat there, I said the prayer, and I went home pissed. It was not like, oh, joy, joy, joy. I went home and I got on my hands and knees and I started praying again and I had two choices at this time. I thought, A, I am crazy and I'm hearing voices or B, there is something this Jesus, to this Jesus. And when I was in my room on my knees, I had it out with him because I said, Jesus, I prayed that prayer with the pastor and if you are real, then I'm mad at you. I'm mad because where were you when my best friend died? Where were you when my grandma died? Where were you when my dad was a drunk? Where were you when my mom is mentally ill? Where were you? So right now, if we're gonna, when we pray, and you're thinking you're struggling with that stuff going on in your heart, he can take it. He can take it. He conquered death. He can handle what's going on in your heart. And if you do know him, if you say I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, but you are so chained up, bound up by the enemy, then I want you to say this prayer alongside me too. Element City Church, Jesus did not come for us to be slaves. He came to set us free. 
Lord. Forgive me. Forgive us. For giving place to my heart to resentment. To lust. To anger. To insecurities. Forgive me. Forgive me for giving place in my life to shame, to fear, and doubt, and control. I renounce it now. Repeat that one in your head again. I renounce it now. Come, Jesus Christ, and take your rightful place in my heart and in my life. Come and set me free here in these very places. I plead your blood over these sins and I break every hold I gave my enemy in the name of your son, Jesus. I invite you to heal the wound. I invite you to heal the memory. I invite you that anything that is not of you, you take out. To fill in the cracks of my heart that are broken. To love you in those places instead. I claim freedom now in Jesus Christ. Jesus, make me whole. Jesus, make me whole. God, I want to know you. This Jesus that loves me and gave his life on the cross for me and for my sins. I want to follow you the best I know how right now for the rest of my life. Lord, we're not going to waste any more time not knowing you. We're not going to waste any more time worrying or being fearful or trapped in things we cannot control. Lord, make us whole. In your son's name I pray. Amen.